As we continue in our series on the church, I would encourage you to take your Bibles or your apps, whatever you read on. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Acts is located, uh, what I would encourage you to do is take a physical Bible, if that's what you're using, and open up to the table of contents at the very beginning. There you're going to find that the Bible's broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. So find the New Testament, five books in is Acts, and go to that page and then scroll through till you get to chapter 10. Now, if you're using an app, simply pull down the list of the books of the Bible and you'll find that Acts is around two-thirds of the way down that list. So go down to Acts and find chapter 10. A few years ago, when my oldest son was about now three or four, uh, my wife and I took a trip with Knox, our son, to Texas. That's where a lot of my family lives still. And so we went to go visit family and take a little break. And we're on the road, we're traveling. We'd been on the road for many hours and uh, it was time for a break. We needed gas, we needed snacks and everybody needed to go to the restroom. And so we had pulled over to this truck stop and it was really nice. We pull in, took care of everything, but I really needed to go to the restroom and so did Knox. And so we, we got him unbuckled and I walked him in and uh, mad rush kind of mentality trying to get to the bathroom. And so I grab him and I, I go into the bathroom and I open the door to the stall and we go in and close it and I, I get him onto the, to the toilet and I'm standing there really kind of bouncing because I need to go to the bathroom also. And so I'm kind of looking around and I notice mounted to the wall of this bathroom stall that we're in was this metal box. And I, I kind of looked at it and thought, well, I've, I've never seen one of those before. What, what is this for? And so I, I looked a little closer and I noticed that this was an item that did not belong in a men's bathroom stall. Uh, at that moment, I realized that I was no longer in a men's restroom. I was in the women's restroom. And so I'm standing there with Knox and I panic. I thought, what am I gonna do? I'm a grown man with a three or four year old son and I'm in the women's restroom with him, a public women's restroom. And so I got Knox finished up and, and I myself went to the bathroom and, and as I'm going to the bathroom, I'm developing a plan. What am I gonna do? Okay. And so I put the plan together. I got Knox all ready. And the plan was to basically pick Knox up so that I could rush out of the bathroom as quickly as possible. I was going to keep my head down, not make eye contact with a single person. And I was going to just walk right out of that restroom, out of the truck stop to my vehicle and get inside. I was not going to acknowledge a single human being. I just wanted to get out of there because I didn't belong in that place. Well, luckily for me, the truck stop at that particular moment was not very busy. And Knox and I were able to walk out of that women's restroom and we didn't encounter, we didn't uh, come across a single person. But I'll be honest, I was horrified in that moment. I, my heart was racing. I was nervous. I, I was afraid of getting caught because I knew that I did not belong in that place. I had no business being in that particular restroom. You see, 
I didn't meet the minimum requirements to be eligible to be in that particular place, if you know what I mean. And today, we're actually going to be looking at the account from Peter's life where he begins to realize that he had been placing ungodly requirements on people around him. So, what kind of requirements do you think we're talking about today? Well, let's take a look. Take your Bible or your apps and turn with me to Acts chapter 10. We're gonna start in verse one. Now, as you're looking for Acts 10 verse one, let me give you a quick recap. The church has begun, it's growing uh, like crazy. There are thousands of people that are coming to know the Lord. Uh, there's been all this activity with the followers of Jesus. And now this man named Saul, who had been hunting down Christians, has now experienced Jesus for himself, has become a follower of Jesus, and his life has changed. This whole church movement is going a new direction. And Peter, the guy that we're gonna be reading an account of his life today, Peter is one of the primary leaders of this church. And in the previous chapter, especially if you read towards the end of Acts chapter nine, you'll find that Peter is kind of going around this area of Israel. He's left the city of, Israel, of Jerusalem and he's kind of traveling uh, over this way in this, the nation and he's encountering people as he goes from town and city to city and he's healing them and telling them about Jesus. And look at what it says when we pick up in Acts chapter 10, verse one. Acts chapter 10, verse one. It says this, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was, uh, of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continuously to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision of an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter, He's lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel had spoken, who had spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse nine, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he began, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time and said, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened 
three times and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now, keep your place uh, in, the, in your Bibles or your apps because we're gonna come back to this passage. But I wanna kind of unpack what is happening here. There are two men that we're, we're, we're focusing on. There's a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion, meaning he is a Roman soldier. Not just a soldier, he is a Roman uh, commander, someone who has charge over a uh, hundred or few hundred troops. And he has had a vision. Uh, he has been told to send men to go find Peter. And they, there's instructions about where you'll find Peter and what to, what to tell him. And then the second person that is brought up in this passage is Peter himself. And he's in a city called Joppa and he, he's praying and he has a vision of a sheet coming down with all kinds of animals, many of which the Israelites uh, were commanded by God not to eat. Yet in the vision, God tells Peter to eat these things. And Peter said, no, I, I would never disobey your law. I've never done that. I won't do it. I won't eat what is common or unclean. And in the vision, God tells him, what God has created, don't call common or unclean. Now, I want you to notice what's surrounding, what's happening right before Cornelius and Peter both have these visions. You see, both of these men are in prayer when they have these visions. Coincidence? Absolutely not. See, if you want God to guide your life, if you want God to speak into your life, if you want God's direction, then you need to be in prayer and you need to be in his word. Simple as that. Now, when we see people having experiences like this with God, when God speaks in this way, it's, it's almost always tied to prayer. And so as a little side note, pray. Spend some time with the Lord. Spend some time in his word, studying, hearing his word, so that you can be uh, tied relationally, following God and following his will for your life. So, Peter's vision is all about this sheet with these animals that he tells him in the vision, kill and eat. But the crazy thing is, is that, as I mentioned earlier, Leviticus 11 had commanded Peter to not eat some of these animals because they were considered unclean by Jewish law, according to Leviticus 11. And so Peter has this exchange with God because he doesn't want to live in disobedience, but he's also being taught something in this vision about something. And let me give you a hint. The main point of this vision has nothing to do with food. So what is the vision about then? What is the point that, that Jesus is trying to make in Peter's life? What is he trying to teach Peter through this vision? Well, that brings me to today's big idea. If you've ever watched one of my messages, you know that I usually give one simple statement that kind of sums up or, or gives the main point of that week's message. And today's big idea is this. Everyone, everywhere needs Jesus. 
Everyone everywhere needs Jesus. And you may be thinking, if you've watched many of my messages, you may be thinking, that sounds familiar. Yeah, I've used this uh, big idea before and I'm using it again because it's so important for us to grasp. Everyone everywhere needs Jesus. There's no prerequisite to accepting the invitation to follow Jesus as our savior. And we should never make someone meet any kind of requirements before inviting them to follow Jesus. Everyone, everywhere needs Jesus. And that's the point of the vision. I'll explain that as we continue moving forward. But what we find next in this passage is that uh, the men who were sent by Cornelius, they find Peter, they explain what Cornelius uh, had seen, they, they explain his vision and tell him to come back with them. So Peter and a handful of the other followers of Jesus that are with Peter, uh, the next day they get up and they go up to Caesarea to visit with Cornelius. And when they get there, Cornelius tells Peter all about what's going on. You see, Cornelius was a God follower. He hasn't come to know Jesus yet. He hasn't come to believe in Jesus yet, but he believed in God. He didn't believe in the the Roman gods. He believed in the one true God. And so it's understood that Cornelius is a godly man. He's, He's helping the poor. He's helping the people of God. And now God's about to do something new in Cornelius's life. So pick up your Bibles And let's continue reading as to how this account in the life of Peter comes to a conclusion. I want you to pick up with me in verse 34. So Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter, after hearing all of this, this is what it says, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. But they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Man, so Cornelius unpacks what God has been telling him and about this vision. And Peter just tells Cornelius the good news of Jesus Christ. He tells him the gospel. He tells him about how the prophets 
were telling about Jesus and how Jesus was the fulfillment, how he was the son of God and how he, he died and rose again in order to save us, to rescue us from our sins. But I want you to notice that in the passage we read earlier, in the early part of chapter 10, Peter had to have a vision to convince him to go and do this. The vision that Peter had was not mainly about food, but about people. You see, the Jewish people, the Israelite people, had a long tradition, and they believed that people who were not of Israelite heritage, they weren't, if they weren't Jewish or they had not converted over to Judaism or, or to the Israelite faith, that they weren't worthy of receiving the faith of God. Uh, they had this idea that their faith in God was exclusive to them only, and it was not open to the people of the world. They felt that foreigners did not belong to the family of God, and they required God followers to also be Jewish. But here's the thing, the Bible never actually says that. What the Jewish people thought and believed in regards to this was simply a human tradition. It's not found anywhere in the Bible. So God has always been calling all people to him. Everyone everywhere needs Jesus. And we must remember that. Little side note, I want you to notice something about Peter because it's tied into something that I might be a coincidence, but it sure is a good teaching lesson. Did you know that Peter's actual name was Simon? So Jesus had actually given Simon a new name and it was uh it was Peter, and, and there's a long uh, Greek wording thing that explains all of it, and you can look that up. I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to explain it. But his given name was Simon. His full given name was Simon Bar-Jonah. Now, Bar meaning son of, it was Simon, son of Jonah. Now, where have we heard the name Jonah before? Did you know that there's actually an Old Testament book of the Bible called Jonah? It's, it's in the Old Testament. It's kind of towards the end. It's kind of packed in with a group of 12 smaller books that kind of uh, bookends the back part of the Old Testament. And if you were to go and read the book of Jonah in the Old Testament you would actually see a lot of similarities to the message that God is trying to send between Jonah and Peter, Simon Bar-Jonah. So let me give you the condensed version of the book of Jonah. Jonah was a man, he was a prophet back in the times before Jesus. And one day God comes to Jonah and he says, go, go up to the city of Nineveh and tell them this message. Give them this message of repentance, of turning away from their, their evil ways and turning to me. Well, Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't like the city of Nineveh. He didn't think they were worthy. So instead of doing what God called him to do, what God told him to do, Jonah decided 
to get on a boat and go the other direction from Nineveh. So he hops on this boat, running away from God, and God sends this massive storm. Uh, long story short, the sailors realize that the storm is from God, and the reason God sent the storm is because Jonah's running from him. And so Jonah tells the sailors, hey guys, if you throw me overboard, all of this will end. So they throw him overboard. Jonah ends up getting swallowed by a big fish. And then the fish, because Jonah submits to God and does, agrees to do what God told him to do, God sends the big fish to the shore to spit Jonah back out. And Jonah's spit back out. He's, he's on the land. He travels to the land of Nineveh. He gives them the message that God had for them. And the entire city turns from their, the ways that they had been un, you know, not following God and they turn to God. But it doesn't end there. You see, the Ninevites were not Israelites. They weren't Jewish people. And so Jonah's mad that God would save these non-Israelites. He gets upset. He throws a little temper tantrum. And the, the last chapter of the book of Jonah has Jonah sulking on this hill, watching the Ninevites turn back to the Lord. And instead of rejoicing, he's sulking and he's upset and he's mad that God uh, is full of love and mercy and grace. Go read it. It's really like it's the last thing that you and I might imagine throwing a tantrum over, but it's, that's what Jonah's upset about. And God tells Jonah just how much he loves the people of Nineveh, even though they are not Israelites, even though they're not Jewish. We're seeing the exact same thing played out in this account from Peter's life, except that instead of getting mad at God for his love, the way Jonah did, Peter rejoices in God's love and tells the people about what Jesus has done for them in order to rescue them from their sins. Now, I would challenge you to consider that maybe most of us watching right now are more like Jonah than we are like Peter. Let me explain why. I think we all struggle with certain groups of people. I think we all struggle to see people the way Jesus sees people. I think we struggle to understand that everyone everywhere needs Jesus. When I was in college, uh, I had the great opportunity one summer to serve on a ministry team. And one of the things we did is we would go to churches and, and do youth revivals and we would uh, you know, do all this kind of stuff to lead teenagers to Jesus. And we got asked to go do a youth revival up in this church in, in uh, a city called Amarillo, Texas. And so we get to the church, we set everything up that day, we've got the whole thing planned out, we're ready to go and excited to lead teenagers to Jesus. And then the event, you know, teenagers from the community start coming. 
And so me and a couple of others had gone to one of the main doors of this church where the revival was taking place. And we're greeting the teenagers as they come in and telling them where they need to go and and what we're going to be doing and kind of getting them hyped up and excited for what's going to happen that evening. And up walks a young boy, a young man, a, a teenager, and he was wearing the t-shirt of a rock band and the t-shirt, to put it simply, the t-shirt had a demon on it. It, it had some very disturbing imagery, but it was, it was a t-shirt that I'd seen all over the place. It was a very popular band in that day and time. And so I wasn't like put off by it or anything, but there was this sweet lady that was helping us greet teenagers as they came in. And as this teenage boy walked up, she, she walked up to him and put her hand on his shoulder and she said, young man, you need to go change your shirt before you can come in here. And me and the two people from our ministry team that were standing there with me, we just, we stopped dead in our tracks because we, had, we didn't see it coming. We didn't expect her to, to say that to this young man. And so we kind of interjected and, and long story short, we, we kind of pulled him aside and welcomed him in and brought him in and, and he got to participate in the event that we were doing that night. But that young man needed Jesus. And this woman with the best intentions, do not misunderstand me, she had well-intentioned motives for what she said, but she had placed requirements on the people who were coming to hear about Jesus. She had placed requirements that Jesus never called her to place on people. She wanted that young boy, that teenage boy, to look and sound like her before he could come in to experience Jesus. And again, I would challenge us today to consider what kind of requirements we put on people to tell before we are willing to tell them about Jesus. What are the types of people, what are the the things, the cultural aspects of certain groups of people that we struggle to just understand that Jesus wants to tell them about his salvation? What roadblocks, what requirements do we put in the way of between people and the rescue of Jesus? You know, I'm I have tattoos. I'm actually wearing a t-shirt on purpose today so that you can see that, that I have tattoos. If you saw a person with tattoos or piercings, would you hesitate to tell that person about Jesus because of their tattoos or their piercings? What about that person that is looking for love and acceptance and healing from hurt. And they're looking for that in the LGBT community. But what they really need is the love and acceptance and healing of Jesus. What about that friend of yours or that coworker who votes for the other political party than you do? What about that immigrant 
that has come here looking for a new life, but in reality, that person needs a new life in Jesus. What about that homeless person that needs to see the love of Jesus through your generosity and through your understanding? And what about that parent at your kid's school that whether you've recognized it or not, maybe you look down on them. What about the single mother who is struggling in all aspects of her life and simply needs some hope? You see, all too many times, we think that people need to fix themselves before they can come to church or before they can come to Jesus. But Jesus tells us the polar opposite. You see, Jesus calls us as we are and then transforms us continuously to be more like him. That's the process of what the Bible calls sanctification. The fact is, is no matter how good we think we are, we're, Jesus is always trying to transform us more and more to be like him. And so, what are those requirements that are not biblical that you have a tendency to place on people? See, I didn't belong in that women's restroom because I did not meet the requirements of a person to go in there. But Jesus has no requirements to answering the invitation to follow him. And more specifically, Jesus has no requirements for who we are to go tell about Jesus. You know, I've mentioned that all too many times we think that we need somebody needs to change before they can come to church, you realize that the illustration that Jesus gives is one of a hospital where those who are hurt and broken come to be healed. That's what the church is. It's a hospital for the sick, for the broken. You know, when I go to, if I break my arm and I walk up to a hospital holding my arm, the nurse at the hospital does not say, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, your arm needs to heal before you can come inside. No, because that defeats the purpose of a hospital. When we place unbiblical and ungodly requirements on people to accept Jesus's invitation, then we have nullified the purpose of the church. And so how should we respond to this today? What should be our response? Well, maybe you're watching right now, maybe you're listening right now, and maybe you don't believe in Jesus. But maybe what Peter tells Cornelius in chapter 10, verses 30, 34 through 43, maybe that has created some questions. Or maybe you go, you know what? That's exactly what I need. Maybe you want to know more about Jesus or more, maybe you're ready to begin following Jesus. If that's you, I want you to stop whatever you're doing right now. I want you to stop what you're doing and I want you to go to the website, go to our website and click on the contact us page. Fill that out and we will reach out to you as soon as possible. But please don't do nothing. Go to the website, fill that out, reach out to us so that we can answer those questions about Jesus that you may have. So maybe you're watching 
or listening, and maybe you are a follower of Jesus. And maybe the response today is to learn from Peter that we need to avoid setting requirements, qualifications, whatever you want to call it. Maybe we need to stop setting up requirements on who we think we're allowed or who we think we should tell about Jesus. Maybe we should just realize that everyone everywhere needs Jesus, no matter what our requirements are. And instead, just tell everyone everywhere about Jesus. So whatever your response is today, let's go to the Lord right now and let's ask for him to help us in learning and growing to be a people that boldly and courageously shares the life-changing hope of Jesus with those around us. So join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much. We thank you for Jesus and we thank you that Jesus does not require anything for us to come to him. And he takes us as we are and then transforms us into men and women of Jesus. And Lord, my prayer today is that if there is anyone watching or listening right now who does not know you as their savior, as their rescuer, I pray that you would draw them to you Lord, that you would right now convict their hearts, convict their minds, convince them that it is time to go to the website, clicking on the contact us page and filling that out so that they can get their questions answered about Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who are watching who are followers of Jesus, I pray that we would understand that everyone everywhere needs Jesus. Help us to continually remind ourselves that whether they look like us or, or sound like us or whatever it may be, they need Jesus just as desperately as we need Jesus. And help us to not place requirements on those that you're calling us to tell about Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for today and we thank you for the life of Peter and the things that he learned and the ways that he submitted to you and your leading. We pray that we can be like Peter, that, that we would be willing to change the way we approach things, the way we think, so that we can lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.